Welcome to Journeying Through the Scriptures podcast, a podcast where we walk through God's Word together. Today we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah. Today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1, and one of our big themes that jumps through through Nehemiah is that prayer precedes an act of God, and that prayer is the result of spending time, quality time with God. So on the front, I want to ask, how is your prayer life today? Is your prayer life with God on hold, waiting for something to happen, or is it active now? Is there quality prayer now? And as we're going to see through Nehemiah 1 and 2, it's not necessarily the duration of your prayer, as Charles Spurgeon would say, but the sincerity of it, because we have two prayers from Nehemiah, one that lasts months and one that might only last seconds, and God answers and uses both. But I want to jump through the book of Nehemiah, focusing on chapter 1 this week, so let's dive into the actual scripture. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hilakiah. Now it happened in the months of Shivlev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanai, one of the brothers, came with certain men of Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, this would be the exiles, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now before we go too deep, Nehemiah is giving us a setting. He's giving us a time, Shivalev, that's generally around November, December. It's the 20th year, and we're going to find out it's Artaxerxes. He's in Susa, that's the winter capital. And one of the Jews, the brothers, comes from Jerusalem. Now, there was already that first group of exiles that built the temple. We talked about them in the book of Ezra. And so the book of Nehemiah and Ezra overlap. Ezra is getting ready to go with that second exile. He more than likely goes with Nehemiah, maybe a little before. Nehemiah might come just a little later. But either way, they're they're operating around the same time zone. The end of Ezra and all of Nehemiah operate within that same zone of time. And we're actually going to see Ezra mentioned several times in the book of Nehemiah. But to set the setting, it's not good. They might have built the temple, and there may have been great rejoicing, but years have passed. And what has happened since those years have passed, people are in shame. The the walls are broken down. The enemies can come in. They can kind of do what they want. There's no protection in Jerusalem. And the general countenance of the people is shame and, and down. And as soon as Nehemiah hears this, so verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This news upsets Nehemiah so much so that he weeps and mourns and cries for days, and it leads him to fasting and prayer. So remember what I said about prayer earlier. This is where it it kind of comes into play. It says here Nehemiah's brokenness over the news drives him by humility to weeping and mourning and fasting and prayer, notice his posture. It, it's it's down. He, he falls to his knees. This is brokenness. Notice the duration. His prayer was not a brief prayer. It, it was a prayer that lasted days. The prayer that follows, and he actually records a summation of these, this prayer. It's unlikely that's the whole prayer because it lasted days. 
but more than likely what we're getting is a summation of the prayer of Nehemiah. And so as we look at that summation, and we're going to read through it here, I, I want to point out some things before we dive into it. I want to point out, one, the content of his prayer. that his, The content of his prayer was acknowledging God's glory and his attributes. This prayer drips the glory of God. There's a plea for God to listen. That's okay when you pray to plead for God to listen. He does. So let's let's jump in to his prayer in verse 5. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. There's the attributes of God. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the great and awesome God. He's given glory to God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those whom he loves and those who keep his commandments. So he's acknowledging who God is. Let your ear, ear be attentive and your eyes be open. Here's his pleading for God to hear, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. Here's the duration, the sincerity of it for the people of Israel, the content, your servants, plural, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. So then he moves to a time of confession. He's going to confess that they, they've sinned which we have sinned against you. He's including himself. Even I and my father's house have sinned. He's including his own sin. He says, we've sinned as a community and I've sinned as a person. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments and the statutes. that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That would be the king, as we're going to find out as he ends his chapter. He says, no, I was the cupbearer to the king. That's going to become important in chapter 2. So as we look at his prayer... He acknowledges God's glory first and foremost. When we pray, it's a good model prayer. When we pray, when we're seeking God, the sincerity of our prayer is often matched by how we enter into it. Here, he's desperate, he's hurt, he's broken. I mean, this is an intense brokenness that causes him to weep for days and and nights. And, you know, when's the last time we've done that over anything? So, I mean, it's not that his prayer isn't serious, but he opens his prayer not by going, God, I have this list of stuff that I'm broken of. And he was broken. He was desperate to get God attentive to what he wanted to pray. But his first and his foremost idea was, God, you're great. Your glory and your steadfast love. And he calls upon the attributes of God. And then before he jumps to his list of, God, we have this problem. He says, God, we've acted corruptly. We've sinned. He's acknowledging that a lot of the situation Israel is in and he himself is in is due to their own sin, their own brokenness, their own corruption. But but now he's he finally makes his plea there. He goes, we've broken your commands. We've deserved what we've gotten. But 
you've promised that even though you'll scatter people who are unfaithful to you, that if we keep your commandments and do them, no matter how far we're scattered out, you'll bring us back. And there's great truth in that prayer. And I want to focus on that for a second. Uh, because if we if we miss this, this is a very important thing within the context of Nehemiah, that though the people of Israel were scattered, God had a plan to bring them back. That though you may be far from God, there, if you repent and turn to him, he will bring you back no matter how far you've gone. And I want you to be encouraged by that today. If you feel so far away from God and you think, I, I don't know how to get back, seek him today and and do his commands, repent. That that would be a, a proto word for repent, turn back to him, do his commands, seek him. He will bring you back even from the uttermost parts of heaven. That's scattered however far you are. He will bring you back. Nehemiah believes that God and only God can bring and restore Israel. And that's why he's seeking God. He goes, only you can do it, God. I can't do it. They can't do it. But I need to I need to talk to the king. And he enters into the king to talk. And so this is kind of a, a neat picture. He gives, I'm the cupbearer. Now you have to ask before we enter into chapter 2 next week, what does a cupbearer do? A cupbearer is one who drinks the wine for the king to see if it's poisoned. So, I mean, on one head, hand, it's, it's a very important job because, you know, you could die. On the second one, uh, as we find out, cupbearers actually were pretty close to the king because he was constantly on the line. He would eat the food and he would drink the drink first to see if he died. I mean, you got to know the king pretty well. And as we see in chapter 2, Nehemiah knows the king pretty well. And that's going to, and he, he lists this little detail that he's the cupbearer, one to place him close to the king as a, as a close advisor to the king and someone who talks to the king, which will explain how he's able to come up to the king and explain why he's so nervous to talk to the king. He's not just a servant. He's a pretty important guy. And that's important as he does that. And so he gives us that little detail. Now we want to jump back to chapter 1, and we want to, we want to say and focus on the beautiful promise that we have that God will return those who have scattered. And we want to look at the fact that God desires to gather his people. Our gateway into this fellowship is by keeping and doing his commands. I don't want to miss this point, the, the end of his prayer. You know, we talk what a great promise that God will gather. There's a gateway into that promise, and that is doing the commands of God as Christians and as new creations. We are made to obey. We're created anew to obey God. And without God's grace, we can do no good. We must lean on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to do this. Now, this is a New Testament reflection on an Old Testament verse. And Jesus is one of the ones who did this first, so it's, it's safe to do this. We can find Christ in all these things. Christ is the gatherer, and the Holy Spirit is the one that drives us to obedience which drives us to that fellowship. We want to recognize that Israel belongs to God and not to themselves and not to Persia. You belong to God. If you are a child of God, if you've been redeemed, if you have given your heart to Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, you are not your own. You are God's people. You don't belong to America. You don't belong to any country. You belong to God. He has authority on your life. And we see a plea for those 
who delight in God's word. Nehemiah was not alone. He did not fancy himself alone. Charles Spurgeon spends some time talking about this. He looks and he says, Nehemiah realized he was not alone. There were others in Jerusalem, and there were others throughout Judea who were calling on God, and he was joining his voice with theirs. If you are hurting, if you feel far from the family of God, just know you're not alone. As you lift your prayer to God, know there is a community of prayers from around this world, and you're entering into that fellowship and that community every time and any time we pray and we seek God's face. So pray and seek God's face today. Give God the glory. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. Be encouraged by the fact he will gather his people. And I'll see you next time as we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah.